it's got to do with, uh, as you say, the mindset, but also when you've got your mindset sorted out, what ordinary people can actually do and overcome. Richard Wright was only the 118th human to survive a very particular rare form of aggressive maturity brain cancer. You know, Rasty Labaskagni was imprisoned for 10 years in a maximum security prison in Zimbabwe under horrific conditions for a murder he didn't commit. It's like the human stories for an exponential time. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real conversations that celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. We're sponsored by our good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. I also want to tell you about my friends at Rollworks, the account-based marketing platform making B2B marketing moves so nobody can ignore you. Check out Rollworks. They're for ambitious B2B marketers who want to choreograph high-performing campaigns. Rollworks.com. On this episode, entrepreneur, CEO, top podcaster, and now number one best-selling author, Matt Brown. And I really like this guy. I think you will too. We have a fun, free-range conversation uh, about what it's like to be an entrepreneur in South Africa. Because you see, Matt and his firm, Digital Kung Fu, recently got voted the number one tech startup in Africa at London Tech Week. He's also um, a leading entrepreneurial podcaster in South Africa, and his new book just hit number one. The book's called Your Inner Game, and I loved uh, reading it. On this episode, you'll gain some practical insights into designing a business and a life, You'll get a deep human sense for how entrepreneurship is making a difference in Africa and also listen closely for Matt's thoughts on courage. Check out Lockhead.com for more. And now, hey-ho, let's go. What's being a tech entrepreneur in South Africa like for you? It's the same as everywhere else, but very different. I think as a tech entrepreneur here, I think the challenges here are very unique to Africa. I think having you know spoken to diplomats and other techpreneurs over in London, there's very much a, a kind of a, a, a black veil that hangs over African tech. No one really knows internationally what the hell is going on here. And the truth of the matter is that the pace of innovation here in African tech is as prolific as you would find in most other tech-centered countries. Um, I think everywhere, I mean, I was in New York not too long ago, um, shooting a series out there for a client, and uh, it was the same story. It was you know, everyone's trying to work out this buzzword called digital transformation. And I think you spoke to Tom Siebel about that as well. Um, and, you know, digital transformation, buzzword in New York, buzzword in London, buzzword in Tel Aviv, buzzword here in Johannesburg. Everyone's trying to work out what the hell digital transformation actually means for them. Where does it start? Where does it stop? And what are the unique opportunities that exponential technologies are unlocking for both you know, corporates and then the startup ecosystem everywhere around the world. So it's a very exciting time 
to be just a tech entrepreneur anywhere. Um, but I think Africa's definitely got some unique challenges. I mean, we've got infrastructure challenges, connectivity challenges, we've got bandwidth challenges, and these things don't typically exist in developed markets. Um, it also makes us, or it forces us to innovate in ways that developed markets never will, especially on mobile. Um, so there's M-Pesa in Kenya that did really well for banking, essentially the unbanked in, in um in Kenya, where there was literally no banking infrastructure whatsoever, and everybody now banks on mobile using something called USSD or unstructured, uh, unstructured supplementary service data, which essentially is enabled on any mobile phone. It's just not used at all in developed economies. But in Africa, it's used for pay-as-you-go, airtime top-up, data uh, purchases, um, even actually e-commerce purchases more broadly. So, you know, it's little things like And they're that, on feature that, phones, are they not? Well, the interesting thing about technology in Africa is that we don't go one, two, three. We go one, three. So we actually jump entire um, technologies. So we'll you just go take from, that leap ahead of everyone else, don't you? Well, yeah, because the adoption, everybody started off, I suppose, on feature phones. But in Africa, people just wind up using a smartphone number one. That's, that's the first thing that they get access to. Okay, so not so much on the feature phones. No, although uh, there was a stat shared by Peter Diamandis, I think now everyone in the world has a mobile phone. In Africa, specifically, though, the rate of technology uh, innovation, like take an iPhone, for instance, that moves so quickly that by the time the iPhone 10 is around, someone sitting in Kenya gets access to an iPhone 10 for the first time. That's their first experience of the mobile internet. Um, and that's what makes you know, again, African innovation really exciting because when you have that kind of computing power sitting in your pockets and you're an African who's 21 years old in Uganda or Ghana, and suddenly, you know, that whole paradigm shift for them unlocks a world of creativity and innovation that previously no one has really seen. Uh, so it sounds exciting. It is. It is exciting. I think African tech's got a bad name in many respects. Um, I was speaking to diplomats and ambassadors over in, in um, London. I was at Lancaster House. It's like this crazy palace. Um, and basically, it's, as I said, it's, it's just there's this, this is appetite for expansion into emerging markets. Um, it's less competitive in many respects, but the economic um, opportunity is huge because there is no competition. Um, and in Africa, there's this thing called the informal trade sector, which is as big as the formal trade. It's essentially an entire economy that runs in the shadows. Know, yeah, exactly. And no one's even tapping that stuff. So I think, you know, it depends on what kind of uh, mindset you have. If you feel like there is not, isn't an opportunity in Africa, then there won't be, you know, but if there is, and you are like myself, it's very much a proponent on the opportunities here in Africa. Um, it's exciting. Way to go. And so, um, you know, tell me about the business. I mean, you just won this award. Um, what's the elevator pitch that you're giving these days, Matthew? We're the world's fastest tech story production business. <laughs> and what's a tech story? <laughs> well, it's a tech story, right? <laughs> Let's not call it what it isn't. <laughs> but um, we, Always we, call I mean, it what it is. That's a good marketing set of advice there. Mm, well, I mean, it's, I don't think, I mean, we're in the B2B space. 
So I don't think we, you know, marketers love acronyms. Um, it's like we, I joked with the team the other day. I don't know whether you're familiar with CrossFit and all the acronyms that they, that they have at CrossFit. CrossFit. Dude, I'm in Santa Cruz, California, where CrossFit <laughs> was founded, dude. Uh-huh. Hard bod <laughs> for a hard wad or whatever. <laughs> well, I don't know that I have the hard bod, but a lot of people here do because this, this, this literally the founder of CrossFit is here. It started in Santa Cruz and we really? have a CrossFit studio, a yoga studio, a Pilates studio, and a pot store on every corner. Amazing. So um, we, we're kind of like creating a CrossFit culture inside our business, which is quite weird and unintended. But we've got all these acronyms for us as well. It's like MQL, SAL, SQL. It's like, it sounds like CrossFit for B2B marketing. <laughs> but, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that we're evangeling this idea, which we tot- I totally stole from your thinking, by the way. And I uh, can't thank you enough for your, for your blo- books actually play bigger and uh, niche down. Um, as we discussed when I had you on, on my show not too long ago, but I love kind your of, show. I've fallen in love with your show. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you're you. awesome. Right. Like a show like yours, you have to, uh, you have to connect with the host. Right. And then I yeah. also find it interesting. Now I'm getting a sense of what's going on in your world and it's obviously mm-hmm. not a world that I'm in. So it's a, it's fascinating for a bunch of reasons. So good job, man. Way good job. Yeah, it's the, going back to the what we do in the elevator pitch. It's, it's basically taking this your your ideas around category design thinking and creating a point of view that's unique and different, and then connecting that point of view at scale to a market in such a way that it creates value. So that for us is basically this idea of storytelling technology. It's about taking proven powers of story and marrying that with technology, so data, marketing automation. Uh, artificial intelligence and delivering, you know, stories essentially at scale that make very complicated things like Microsoft Azure and Active Directory and Office 365, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it delivers, you know, ideas in ways that are memorable, relatable and understandable. And that's really, I mean, it's an you know, you never quite know if things are going to resonate or not, um, but it certainly has worked locally here. So the, I guess the test will be like, you know, moving into the UK and to the US next year, what that would look like. So walk me through a couple of your sort of highest impact, highest value use cases. Cool. So we've got this thing called the lightning strike. (laughs) Air pump from Chris. (laughs) Um, But uh, essentially it's a productized service that delivers um, uh, sales ready pipelines to take clients in days. It's um, a process of generating top of funnel leads in the B2B space and then vetting those leads quickly through uh, a content marketing program and a lead scoring system, essentially, glorified CRM to vet uh, leads who are either tire kickers or whether they're actually ready to buy the car. And so we essentially what we do is we remove a lot of the inefficiency in B2B marketing. And uh, what that enables our clients to do is spend less to get a higher return and to get their pipelines uh, built quickly rather than slowly, which is essentially the world of agencies. Um, and so we built... <laughs> Not that we're whacking them or anything. No. Look, I mean, I, I worked for Ogilvy and TBWA and it feels like lifetimes ago. 
Um, and I understand, you know, that world very well and I respect that creative industry space very well. We borrow some of their thinking, I suppose, from an IP perspective when we need to. But generally speaking, the narrative is that they can't deliver in tech. Um, they're too slow. They're too expensive. Uh, we've got 10,000 resellers for something like Microsoft Cloud and Amazon Web Services here just in South Africa. Um, and a lot of those, um, a lot of that market can't afford big agency fees, you know. And also agencies typically are not uh, specialists when it comes to technology and understanding the nuances of communicating the value propositions of tech. Um, and so anyway, so that's pretty much what the lightning strike delivers. I mean, we built a $15 million pipeline for MicroFocus in 10 days. We built a 17 million Rand pipeline for first distribution in 21 days. We built a $4.6 million pipeline in eight days for Ford Lane in New York. So it seems to be replicable. But yeah, but that story. was just luck, man. Yeah, I know. But it's all story and it's all tech. And that's kind of what, you know, we... And so let me make sure I, I completely break this thing down in my head. So what I think I hear you say is uh, you create uh, sort of compelling content that um, drives top of funnel and you manage the whole cycle from the content creation to the driving of the pipe to scoring of the lead when it, when the person when the prospect goes from being a content consumer to a, a potential uh, buyer and uh, the end product. If I'm the CMO hiring you guys, the end product I get is a bunch of really legendary, reasonably highly qualified, scored the way I want them scored prospects. And I hand you a check every month and you just go ching, ching, ching and do that. Pretty uh, much. I do. <laughs> Especially the ching, ching, ching part. <laughs> yeah. You like that part? Sound effects. Yeah, that was, that's it. Sound effects early in the morning here in, in Santa Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, what we find, especially in the enterprise space is that, you know, marketing doesn't want to talk to sales and sales don't want to talk to marketing. Sales think marketing delivers them poor quality leads and they don't want to have their precious time wasted. Um, you know, marketing is all about brand love and that kind of thing. And sales is all about the numbers. And so what we... say brand love? No, no, what is that? Exactly. But that's the world Can of you marketing. you say that again for me? Brand love. <laughs> First of all, that's an awesome expression because one of the machines that I am raging against is, and this is going to sound crazy. You and I talked about this. Marketing has fallen too much in love with branding. Marketing thinks branding's the answer to everything. More branding, right? And it's yeah. absolutely fucking wrong. And even worse than that, a brand in the absence of a category design strategy is a waste of time and money because fools compete for existing demand. Fundamentally, that's what branding is about. Legends create new demand where there wasn't any, uh, when there wasn't uh, demand there before. Right. And yeah. so we have massively over rotated in marketing on brand and I love brands and I love branding and I love logos and I love taglines. I love all that stuff. But when it stands on its own in the absence of a strategy called how do we design and dominate a category, then it's just a bunch of foo foo ha ha ha. Mm. But by yeah. digress, um, so you guys create massive pipe fast. Pretty much. And the other thing is content marketing. Yeah, it's content marketing. Um, although again, that's 
it's another another level for the delivery of an outcome, which is just a far big. It's a far bigger idea yeah. than content. Yes. And um, the other. The other thing I wanted to echo uh, to your point earlier is that I think we've overvalued technology and we've undervalued creativity. And, you know, <laughs> another fist pump. So I'm going to keep score. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's definitely two. It could be three or four. I'm not positive. Definitely more than one. <laughs> and so, I mean, and that was the thing that was abundantly clear, you know, when we went to London Tech Week. And just speaking to everyone from, you know, big AI companies like um, to Oracle, to Microsoft, to, you know, entry players who are building quantum circuitry, there's just an over rotation or index towards technology. And it's like, well, the magic doesn't happen unless you blend that with creativity. The tech only is only going to get you so far. And that's going back to my first points around this idea of storytelling technology. That's, it's about the blending of those two things together. And we started to see that over in, in, in London. There was one particular execution where there was a, an actor, a human being, basically wrapped in a black outfit. And as this outfit or this person moved, the AI mirrored what the body of the body movement was essentially portraying. And it was an artistic expression, but it, the idea of blending creativity with technology was just profound. And it was the first real example. I mean, you could argue what the real world use case is, of course, but it was the first real world example of how, you know, in the arts, how is AI being integrated into the arts? And if you think about that objectively, it's like, I'd have no fucking clue, <laughs> but there you have this execution, which, which was beautiful by nature. Um, and so we're starting to see all of that. Yeah. And the thing I also love about what you're doing, all kidding aside, is um, there's a reason Disney's Disney. There's a reason they paid, and I forget the exact number, but the many billions they paid for Lucas. And, you know, if you read Joseph Campbell, right, the, uh, we're, there's, a, there's, a set of, there's a set of stories, there's a set of archetypical stories that have an arc to them and have certain characters in them and a certain kind of tension and momentum to them. Um, and, and, you know, the hero has to suffer some, some loss or something has to happen and then they have to be down and then they have to come back up and, you know, and, and on and on and on. Right. So there's these, these stories that we tell uh, uh, over and over. I was hearing, how was it? Shit. I was hearing somebody talk about how many stories, really? uh, it's early, man. Um, how many stories there are where, where somebody goes through something to get to another world, you know, like the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, the kid goes through the wardrobe. There's uh, 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 this, um, uh, the wizard of Oz could be considered that right. The hurricane. And then you're dropped into this new world. And so anyway, my point is people love stories and there's a, only a certain set of stories that we tell over and over again. And the interesting thing about what I find you're doing is of course, point of view is just a, a, a snazzy word for story. Right. And stories are what drive legends and companies. Most companies aren't telling a story. They're barking a tagline. They're screaming features and benefits. Yeah. Which we try and stay away from entirely. Uh, if it's like price, if you're competing on price, it's a race to the bottom. Um, so, and also, you know, it, if you take something as huge as cloud, at the moment, 
just everywhere around the world, it's like this this massive gold rush essentially for for Microsoft. Obviously, now being I think they're still the number one market cap company in the world. But I mean, they did something like thirty five billion dollars in three months selling cloud. Uh, it's incredible. Um, and um, when you're trying to sell something like Azure, when there's 10,000 other companies also selling Azure, how are you supposed to differentiate yourself if you're talking features and benefits? Um, and so it's about understanding that there is a brand link to the point of view, but also it's about putting a different spin on this old problem or this new problem. It's like we've got a client here who integrates, they built a product called MCS and that integrates with all the different cloud platforms. And so, you know, for us, when they came to us and said, Pete, can you help build us a pipeline? We stayed far away from saying that they were a cloud business, <laughs> even though that that's what they were selling. Um, and so we positioned them as the alternative to cloud. And the insight there was that when you buy a cloud license, typically what happens is, your costs don't stay the same. They actually go up. And so, because your business is consuming more and more data. And so it actually becomes a cost issue. So now you think that you've you've made the right decision as the CEO to save money on your ICT spend, but in fact, your costs are spiraling, uh, especially when you move more and more applications over to the cloud environment. Um, and that's what puts the what taints the idea of cloud being a silver bullet to your ICT infrastructure and your cybersecurity problems. So in fact, what, when you then put your hand up and go, well, hey guys, when that happens to you, we're now the alternative. <laughs> it gives you relevance. Um, so anyway, it was just a, it's a small example of you know, how you can create difference by staying away from the crowd. Hmm. I love that story. I, I just checked... Um, so right now, Microsoft is a, a hair over a trillion. Um, Apple is, uh, excuse me, Amazon is nine fifty, and Apple is nine nine five. So they're all within striking distance of each other, but Microsoft is absolutely ahead. And I'll tell you, um, I am as stunned about that as maybe anybody in the world. It is an extraordinary uh, feat that they are where they are. Um, and the interesting thing is, and this, this, I think just maybe to underscore your point, I think it's a testament to both them because I think they deserve a ton of credit. And I'm a guy that said a lot of bad things about them. Um, mostly because I don't think they generally tend to get category design, but man, what they did get is we have the biggest franchise in software history in Microsoft office. The whole thing's changing right? No one's buying CDs and shit anymore, right? We got a, the delivery model, the consumption model, pricing model, the whole thing's got to change. And it's of course got to get delivered through the cloud. Anyway, they did that. They got that that was happening. Google was trying to transform the category to redesign the category. They said, NFW, this aggression will not stand. And they executed. And of course, there's other things they've gotten right too. But I think that, that to me was the giant one. And here they sit at a trillion. Yeah, it's it's arguably one of the biggest turnarounds or the most successful turnarounds of a multinational corporate beast um, that I'm aware of. Well, and and look, I I don't know shit, so maybe this is wrong, but 
if you assume that for sake of argument, the construction industry from a, from an innovation point of view, didn't move as quickly as the tech industry, if that assumption was correct, which I'm actually not sure about, because I don't know shit about the, the construction industry, but let's say that were true, right? Or let's say maybe this is a better way to think of it. Of all industries, you'd have to argue that computer software would be in the top 10 most innovative industries. It'd be hard to argue that's not true. Mm. And so, so in that context, uh, to your point, Matt, what they've pulled off, I think, is even more extraordinary. Satya yeah, is. Is, is incredible. Yeah. Um, what I find probably more incredible is, is there's this kind of evolution of value creation. Whereas, I mean, if you go back to when I had my, my first business, which was the record label, you know, if you wanted to move volume, you needed to have a hit record. Um, and if you didn't have Mariah Carey on your books, you were kind of like, well, you know, you were screwed. And then iTunes happened and that obviously created the long tail business model and that literally, you know, put the traditional music business in many respects that to innovate, to remain relevant, but also, yeah, they, they ass kicked. Um, and so that's that same idea of, of Microsoft, you know, it was windows 95. It was, that was what you bought. That was the hit record. And then with, when, com, when computing power essentially became, it fell through the floor, essentially the cost to create scalable computing. It's opened this whole idea called cloud. I don't know who it was. If you actually coined the term cloud, can you recall? Um, to the best of my knowledge, uh, the first time I heard it was from Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz when they were, they started a company in, and again, you know, my, 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 my um, cranium spends a lot of time soaking in, in uh, single malt scotch, but uh, my memory <laughs> is they started a company in the late nineties called loud cloud. Loud and cloud. they were, they were, uh, if I remember correctly, sort of an infrastructure company and their pitch at the time was, Hey, um, you know, stop buying all these sun servers and building your own data center. We've got a data center on tap for you. Um, so, so very much, uh, a generation or two or three generations, depending on how you want to think of it, of AWS. So they, they were doing an AWS and they built that business to a certain size. And I think they experienced some bumps along the way, but they positioned the, the way they described their technology was as a series of clouds. Ultimately they sold that business to, um, I want to say EDS and they took the software for managing those data centers and spun that out into what became uh, Opsware. And Opsware got acquired by HP. Um, I can't remember exactly, but roughly a year, maybe not even a year after Mercury, um, the last company I was CMO of, got acquired by HP. So in an interesting twist of fate, um, all the Mercury folks and all of the um, loud cloud slash, uh, Opsware folks ended up in the same group. So long story longer, I think it was those two. And then obviously we know who ran with it, right? Yeah, totally. But it's this, uh, going back to the value sort of evolution of value. It's, it's this, this fundamental shift away from short-term profit to, towards vision and growth. Um, you know, Amazon's doing that really well. Um, I don't even think they make a profit yet. And yet they've literally dismantled retail single-handedly um, simply because of this whole, you know, long-term vision and growth um, over time. And Microsoft... Well, the irony, of course, is what are, they, what are they doing to expand? 
They're getting physical, right? They're buying Whole Foods. They're opening these Amazon stores and shit. They're opening bookstores. You're like, what? It's nuts. Have they actually opened up a bookstore now? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how many of them they have, but I've seen them. And uh, it's really weird, particularly, you know, I was a, I'm a guy who sat there at the Goldman Sachs conference in, it would have been 98 or 99 when Amazon went public. Or how do you pronounce it? Pronounce it for me. Amazon. <laughs> Come on. That's not how you say it. <laughs> you say it, Q. <laughs> Isn't it like Amazon? How do you guys say Amazon. it? Amazon. 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 It's Amazon. like the... Um, how do you say it? Amazon. It's like the, it's like the Australians. <laughs> they, they call the stuff you put in Diet Coke our spitamin. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Instead of aspartame. Uh, Something like that. I may be getting it wrong, but if, if it's not our spitamin, it's something great like that. So, so at Amazon, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I sat there in the audience watching Jeff Bezos on his IPO roadshow at a um, luncheon speech uh, while they were on the road taking the company public in 1998 or 1999. I sat there. He was a luncheon speaker. And everybody in the room, I mean, if you didn't get it, you weren't paying attention. Everybody in the room sat there and went, Holy shit. I just watched the Beatles land in America or I just watched, you know, the lunar landing or aliens or something like you knew you had just seen something. This guy was going to do something. And from really that moment on, it might have even started before the IPO, but there was this expression back then that you were going to get Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. Your business was going to get Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, and they and they've been Amazoning everybody since then. <laughs> <laughs> they have it's pretty frightening actually. Um, so Matt, yeah. you've written this book, your inner game. Yes, indeed. And you're, you're packaging up your learnings and sharing them with the with the, the known universe. It is frightening stuff. It's almost as frightening as Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazon. Thank you. <laughs> 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 I, I was hoping I could get you to say it. Uh, and so first of all, before we get into the book, can I just tell you, I love your branding. <laughs> to put him an oxymoron. I thought you hated branding. <laughs> no, I don't hate branding. I love branding. I hate branding when it's in the absence of category design. Um, but I don't, we've, we, we don't need to talk about that right now. I just love your branding. There's something sort of street, punk rock, it feels like it represents the kind of guy you are. Um, and the other thing is, and you know this, right? You know you're a fucking character. <laughs> <laughs> you're a cartoon character. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, right? <laughs> Thank you. I got, I, I, got a bell, I got a bell ring for that one, did I? <laughs> you did. That was your first bell ring. Yeah, I think that one deserves two bell rings, just, just saying. It was two. Okay, fine. <laughs> We're level. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, uh, it, I didn't even know how we wound up here. I, I assume you're talking about this red sign behind me. No, I like the red sign. I like all that. I like the branding for the podcast very much, but I'm specifically talking about the cover of the book, Your Inner Game, 12 yeah, Principles yeah. for High Impact Entrepreneurs. And yeah, it's this little a, guy in the left-hand corner. I don't know what that little guy's doing, but that's fucking great. <laughs> There's something here about you being better than sex uh, up on the upper left. 
Um, what is that? I can't read that. What does that say? Smash it. Smash it? Mm-hmm. It says smash it. These are all um, signatures of the wall behind me from guests that have been on my show. And, um, you know, funny enough, that little caricature dude, that cartoon character down the bottom. Yeah. Uh, that's done by Jonathan Shapiro. He's one of the world's most famous cartoonists and political activists here. He was pretty much instrumental in driving opinion around the African National Congress and the corruption that... Yeah, I had uh, no idea about any of that, but here's what I do know. Somebody legendary did that, that doodle of a dude for you. Like that, that doesn't happen like just cause. <laughs> 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 That's an awesome doodle. <laughs> it's a cool doodle. Yeah. And what's this thing about it's better than sex to hang out with you? What is this? Um, that is John Nikolakakis. And, and what does this say? It's, it's, I can barely read it. It says uh, pizza is better than sex, basically. He, uh, he runs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he it was runs... in reference to you. <laughs> I was like, wow, like reading this book is better than sex. I'm like, I don't know. I read it. I think it's really great, but I don't think it's better than sex. <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I would agree with you then either that or you'll keep there with sex ass. if it's better than sex then you're either doing it wrong or you're doing it with the wrong person sorry yeah 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 totally <laughs> but john's an interesting character as well he runs a, a billion rand pizza empire family owned still privately owned. holy moly uh, and help me with what the conversion rate, uh, what's a billion Rand in, in American dollars, Matt? Would, you would probably know way better than I. Real money, which is the US dollar. Um, <laughs> it's about by 15, I think. It's about 100 and what is it? It's 100, 100 million, 150 million. Okay, so it's 10, it's 10 to 1 roughly? Yeah, somewhere on the... Don't make me do math, man. Grade three math was where it it ended for me. So you're going to make me look stupid in any minute. (laughs) Yeah, it's a... It's 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 about a $100 million business. $100 million business. What's the the business called? The pizza company? Uh, Roman's Pizza. Roman's Pizza? Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so um, I wanted to start, if I could, um, um, with the end of the book. What are the big conclusions that you want people to get uh, from your inner game? Um, Great question. I think one of the biggest ones, uh, just for some more context is that, um, you know, I've, I've started nine companies and six of those failed. And um, I've, I know what it feels like to, to kind of not only lose every cent that you have, but also to lose your sense of self-worth. And, you know, we've done close on 200 interviews now. And, uh, you know, this is the book that I wish someone had given me when I was 18, because there's loads of books that are, that talk about, you know, strategy and how to go from A to B and all these things like product market fits and so on and so forth. And, and whatever, and that's great. It's all the outer game stuff, but but there's very few, uh, at least from what I what we can find, is that there's very few real uh, valuable sort of insights and stories related to how one makes decisions and the inner game principles that anyone can apply to become a high impact entrepreneur. And so, you know, this whole the education system 
is fucked. And this has come up on my show so many times, so many times, Chris, I can't tell you. And the book, you know, I penned the deal and then it took me nine months to write a single word. And because I was trying to work out exactly what the answer was to a question like that, what was the outcome or who is this book actually for? And this book is for, uh, you know, it's not for the likes of you necessarily because you've obviously hugely successful and, and however you just send, however you want to define that for yourself. But in I Africa, fail all day, every day, man. I know, but I if I don't like fail, I feel like a loser a lot of the time. But that's I great. Like, and it's like, it's like surfing. Business is like surfing. The minute you feel like, hey man, you like maybe you got two or three good waves in, in a row. And I call it channeling your Slater Quan after Kelly Slater the greatest surfer of all time. And you can feel the Slater Quan and you're one with the ocean and you're like, yeah, man, I am the man. And then bam, bam, bam. You don't catch another wave for the entire session because mother ocean goes, oh yeah, I'm going to remind you. Right. And so, <laughs> and yeah, business and, and, is like that. You know, it's like, it's, it's a constant frustration because all of us who are committed to bringing forth something new, who are committed to creating something, generating something, inventing something, however you want to think about it, right? You're bringing forth something into the world. And for the most part, the world is ambivalent. And sometimes the world whacks you in the face and goes, no, not that, not that, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> of course, we need, to keep, we need to keep bringing it. But that doesn't stop happening. I mean, you know, I experienced that just like anybody else. I know, but the thing is success doesn't teach you much, but failure will teach you a whole bunch of things. And, um, you know, when you, when you, when you understand that, you know, the educational system, and I can't talk for America and it's not in all cases, but it's in a large majority of cases, it was built for the industrial age. Um, and now we, you know, kids are spending so much money on their education, winding up in student debts. And when they leave, they're actually not prepared. They've got an MBA but so does 10,000 other kids also wanting that corporate job. Um, and so um, there's this just massive, there's this massive skills gap, number one. And number two, you know, at least in the South African context, everything, all the politicians, a lot of the, you know, influencers in business here, media journalists, et cetera, all point to the small enterprise as the silver bullet to fix our economy. So, the thing though is that entrepreneurship is fucking hard. It's like every, anyone can be an entrepreneur, but it's actually not for everyone. Some people don't have the personality uh, character to pick up on your, your word earlier uh, to actually push through the absolute certainty of things like failure, um, of things like, you know, imposter syndrome, of things like not being able to make money, of things like, nobody wanting your products of just running out of cash, not being able to pay salaries. Like, you know, there's a laundry list of things that you will absolutely experience as an entrepreneur and you will fail. And, you know, and I wanted this book to paint the truth about uh, entrepreneurship in a way that was authentic. And that, that really comes through in the branding um, to your earlier point. And there's this, at least here, and I suppose in, in more broadly all over the world, there's the Silicon Valley narrative. It's like, you're going to start a business today and six months from today, I'm going to sell that business for a hundred million dollars. And I'm going to move to the South of France and do, you know, on my hundred million dollar yacht, 
uh, and do Bolivian cocaine with a bunch of Russian supermodels. And that's fucking awesome because that's what it means to be a techpreneur today. I was just um, about to so say, we, don't forget the supermodels. <laughs> yeah, don't forget the supermodels. Um, but the truth of the matter is that that's not real. I mean, for every success, and this is peddled through, you know, um, uh, media like TechCrunch and so forth. It's like you see all these headlines, you know, X startup raises $86 million seed round, you know, as bike sharing battle heats up in the US. And so yeah. it creates a perception of entrepreneurship that's not true. And so for every story of success like that, and that for me isn't even success, it's just a media release. Um, that business may or may not make money. It may fail. It may succeed. It may become a unicorn, but it probably fucking won't. Um, and so for every one of those stories, there's hundreds of thousands of crushed dreams. And I've been there. And that's really what, you know, um, this book is trying to encompass. It's about saying, well, you know, if you fail, right? Or let me rephrase that. If a business fails, it doesn't mean that you fail. They're fundamentally different things. And when I had my first business failure, I took that incredibly personally. And it took me many, many years to get over myself. And, you know, the stories in, in or the principles come from stories that were recounted to me on my podcast, The Matt Brown Show. And the transformation that I've personally experienced by just having random conversations with awesome human beings, fucking legends, basically. Um, and being able to understand that it's normal to fail, that failure is, is an absolute certainty. And like, you know, I say today, if I haven't failed every single day, then I haven't had a good day, you know? And that's, it's things like that, that I want kids to, uh, or aspiring entrepreneurs to really understand that failure is actually cool. Uh, and it's not about the headlines all the time. Well, and, and so the question is, why is failure cool, right? And so to your point, we, we tend to learn more by failing. Although, as I have thought about that, you know, I, I think thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. And so on the, on the failure thing, I would generally tend to agree. I, the asterisk I would put on it, however, is I personally have learned a ton from winning. Um, and so... Um, I think both are very valuable. I think the teachings of failure, we remember um, in a way that we don't quite remember the teachings of success. I, I would absolutely give it that. But um, I've learned a ton from both and I've done a lot more failing than I have of, of learning. Um, but I, I do think it's an incredibly powerful um, insight. And um, the big aha, so there was this Cora question the other day that I answered. And, and I forget the exact headline, but it was something around sort of what's a big thing that you understand as an older person that you wish you could have understood as a younger person to, you know, kind of on the thread that you're on. And uh, what I wrote was the um, journey is the destination. And that when you're young, you're, you're looking for a lot of destination. And, and frankly, you need some destination, right? You need to get your ass educated in one way or another. You need to get your ass an apartment or somewhere to live. You need to get a job. Uh, you need to start paying bills. You need to uh, find a partner or a spouse. Um, if you're, if you're, if you want to make people, you need to get busy on people making and you need, and then if you want to start a company and so, and, and you have to get some results along the way there's, you can't have a situation called, I don't get a place of my own or 
I don't get a job or I, I don't become financially sustainable or, you know, there's certain things that to be a, you know, fully functioning adult, what today people call adulting, you got to go get that shit done. And so I understand there's, when you have no success uh, or goals really achieved, you got to go get some of that stuff done. But for me, the aha, as you figure that out is, you know what? The day after you take your company public and you press the go button on NASDAQ, you wake up the next morning, you have a cup of coffee and you poo, right? <laughs> and so we think that like these things are going to, ha- our life is going to be some diff, some, you know, and it's not. And certainly financial security ch- changes things. So I don't want to be ignorant about that. It does for sure. And that's a wonderful, extraordinary outcome if, if you can get to that kind of a place. Or in the case of building a business where you know now you've got a, a sustainable business that is on track to building a real enduring value. People love working there. Customers love it. Your shit is awesome. You know, the place where you find yourself today, that's an unbelievable feeling. And yet, um, and so your life changes at some level, but the reality is you got to keep doing what you're doing. And so the aha, to me, the gift is we get to do it. That's the gift. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by the journey is the destination. It's the doing of it that makes it awesome. It's not, no, I'm never going to win an award for surfing. It's the fact that I get to surf. That's the gift, right? It's the fact that you get to build the business of your dreams. That's the gift. Yeah. I mean, I always say pick your struggle, you know, so either you're going to pick your struggle as a corporate fat cat, uh, or you're going to pick the struggle of being an entrepreneurship or, you know, picking the struggle of running an NGO or pick the struggle of being a dad or pick the struggle of being single. I mean, you have to fall in love with that struggle. And, you know, I don't know, like at least in my experience, that's what I've found where happiness comes from. I mean, when I started this podcast, it's, it sucked. <laughs> like royally sucked ass. <laughs> I mean, like there were no, I mean, I remember- Not I, I in posted, a good way. No, it was horrible. I mean, like I'm an introvert um, and I don't usually like talking to strangers. So like I would, you know, I'd have to, for some weird reason, I just was petrified about trying to hold a conversation with a CEO for an hour that I'd never met before. And even if they were in the same city or suburb, like I'd still set it up by Skype because I didn't actually want to meet this person. (laughs) You know, uh, it was a... How long ago was that, man? uh, Four years ago, um, wow, I'll tell you, you are so fucking good now. <laughs> no, you're, you're a rock star. You're an absolute rock star. Your show is fucking fantastic. And the way you guys do it with, you know, the cockamamie audience and the ringing of the bell and all that business, it's very, very corny. And yet somehow it works. You guys do great video editing. So the thing, I'm so jealous of the way it looks. Your shit looks awesome. Uh, and, and like I said, you're a cartoon character. <laughs> Someone phones a Piro. needs to do me a new one. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I you guess... You should have your own Toy Story movie. Toy Story movie? We have an animator. Where is she? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a real gift, you know, that when I, I remember uploading the first episode, um, and then going to sleep and waking up the next morning, so excited, you know, it's like, Oh my God, how many thousands of people would have been listening to my show? And then I checked the download numbers and it'd like be one, you know, <laughs> and that was me. Your mom thinks it's awesome. <laughs> um, but now it's, you know, and 
and it was just a weird thing. I just fell in love with the whole idea of having honest conversations or odd casting, as you call it. Um, and being able to, over time, get really good at understanding what motivates people. Um, and, you know, talking about death and saying, okay, you know, when you're born, your death is intimately entwined in that event. So the only certainty about entrepreneurship is, is uncertainty. Um, and so going back to your idea on like purpose and passion and vision for yourself, more, more importantly than your business, it's like, well, you have to think about your death. And so we, it's been just a, as I said, it's been a really transformational journey. And we talk about those things that you're not going to find on TechCrunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that's what's really resonated with, um, with listeners in over a hundred countries around the world now. And we've signed deals with Amazon Prime and all sorts of things. So, but it all came from one conversation. And the thing that still keeps me going every single day is that that doesn't make money. You know, it's a passion for me. And the why for the show and the why for the book are the same. It's about helping entrepreneurs succeed through information sharing at scale. Um, and, you know, if, if, if we have one person through, that listens to our show and every single day uh, we can inspire one person, just one, somewhere in Africa, wherever the fuck they are, to start a business, you know, that's 365 startups. And if half of those succeed and if half of those employ 10 people, then that's, that's the vision, right? But, uh, but it all starts with a conversation just like this. It's a microphone and yeah. two dudes or a guy and a girl is having a yawn. And it's, what did you say earlier? Two dudettes. Dudettes. Uh, yeah, we live in a, 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 a dude and dudette manufacturing plant here in Santa Cruz. Um, <laughs> It's interesting you say that. Uh, I got an email a couple of days ago from a listener and the details aren't important, but it was, it was the kind of email where um, you tear up when you read it in terms of, you know, uh, the things that he had to say. And I said exactly the same thing to my wife. I said, you know, um, my mission today is to try to make a difference at scale and have a ton of fun doing it, right? And right now that's through writing and through podcasting and who knows how it evolves over time. Um, and that, that's really it. Have a very good time and try to make as big of a difference as possible at whatever scale. Right. And so I got this email and it made me tear up and it was incredible. And, and I said, you know, baby, um, the scale thing is important, but now having been at this, starting with writing and then adding podcasting, it's been about three years. If the whole thing, all of it, all 250 episodes or whatever we're at, all, both the books, all of it was to get this one outcome, this one guy to uh, have the experience with this shit that he's had and is now going forward in his life uh, and in his business. The whole thing was worth it for this one guy. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because I don't give a, I really don't care about how many people listen. I care about the one guy who, and I get emails from people. I meet people at conferences and, you know, and it'll just be like, I'm, I interviewed um, uh, one of the uh, equity owners or partners of a company called Grid uh, Worldwide. They're South African creative agency, but they've just completely kicked ass on the global stage and done some amazing things. And they were working with the Qatar um, government or the Qatar Tourism Board. 
So launching essentially an entire brand, country brand, <laughs> across 12 different markets. So they had to move to Qatar for uh, nine months. And it's not like South Africa, right? South Africa is a great place to live. Um, and so he, would, he, he was telling me on the show how lonely he was. Um, and then up on LinkedIn, up in his timeline, my content would pop up and then he would check in and he wouldn't feel so alone. Um, and it's things like that, that, you know, that, that's the only feedback that I need, but it's just one dude in Qatar doing rad shits as an entrepreneur, you know, yeah. uh, and being able to connect with, with ideas, you know, that can help him and inspire him and let him know that, Hey man, it's okay. <laughs> you know, you're not yeah. alone. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's awesome. And that, that look, it's corny, but whatever it, it, the power of writing and the power of podcasting today is uh, you put these things out, things that, that matter to you and you hope matter to other people. And then all of a sudden, somebody from uh, Qatar sends you a note or somebody in Brazil or, or somebody in your backyard, whatever it is. Uh, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And um, the thing I find incredibly cool about it is that you and I get to do this. Anybody who wants to do this can do this, right? Um, there is a niche NATO happening. Right. And it's, it's, it's very cool. People who care about ideas and topics and want to get into them and get into them. Um, no matter how niche and, and the, you know, look, you'd rather matter to a hundred people than not matter to a hundred million people. Right. And, and, and if there's something you're passionate about and there's a hundred other people in the world who are passionate about that thing, then the technology allows us to connect across the globe. And that's the cool shit. Yeah. I think audio is a fantastic storytelling medium. Um, far better than video uh, could ever be. Um, and, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of entrepreneurs I've met that go, hey, you know, I'm going to start a podcast just like you. And I'm like, fantastic. You come talk to me in six months' time. Because <laughs> there's a graveyard of podcasts with like two or three episodes. It's like, you know, no, it's, it's all podcasts that- pretty much. If, if I remember the numbers right, I think we're sitting around six to 700,000 podcasts. And it's less than 200,000 of them have more than seven episodes. That's, does that, have you heard that? Am I making that up? No, but you can, it's fine. It's something like that. If it's not that, it's in the general direction of that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, just from experience locally, it's certainly true. You know, it's, um, people don't, I, f- I think, fully appreciate the amount of work that goes into producing a show like Follow Your Difference or the Matt Brown show. I've got three full-time people and that's all they do, you know. Yeah, and in the case of our podcast, we don't even edit it. So, like, imagine if you were slicing and dicing the thing. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's real work. And, um, and now I have two podcasts. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, Oh no. Yeah, I know. Um, but as I said to a friend of mine yesterday, I said, you know, I I got all this shit in me. I got to get it out. (laughs) (laughs) Good on him. (laughs) So can I ask you a question? Yes, sir. Um, what did you like most about the book? What jumped for you the most as an aha moment, as you call it? So here's what I love the most about it. Um, the amount of times the word courage shows up. And actually one of the things I made a note, I did want to talk to you about that. I love is, um, I think courage in business doesn't get talked about that much. 
And one of the most powerful expressions I've ever uh, uttered or heard is it takes courage to be legendary. And, um, and your book in that way, although it's a completely different book, uh, connects in my mind to Jerry Colonna's new book, Reboot. You know, Jerry Colonna, the quote unquote CEO whisperer. And he talks about the, you know, the warrior leader. And there's a lot of things about sort of radical self-inquiry and, and digging into your courage. And so I think that's the thing that I thought was really great was the, was all, or the examples and the discussion and you know, courage just shows up. The other thing, if I, if I come out a, a, a level from that, um, and it's why I started the marketing podcast, a lot of stuff we see today is very practical and tactical in nature. You know, so it would have been very predictable for a guy like you to write a book called, you know, top end of your funnel with awesome content, right? Or something along those lines, right? That was sort of like what the business is about and, and that is very practical. And if you look at podcasts and books that are successful, there's a lot of them, <clears throat> excuse me, in our world that are very practical and tactical that are selling like crazy. And I think a lot of them are very, very good. And a lot of these podcasts are, you know, good discussions about, well, I don't care what it is, SEO or story or content or how to build a website or whatever the fuck it is. I think there's a lot of that. That's amazing. And there actually aren't that many mindset books about business. And yeah. so what I think you're doing is you're aggregating learnings and you're presenting, what was it, 12 of them? Um, that are really, you know, the way I describe them are mindsets. That is to say, things to think about. Your book is not a prescription. There's not a to-do list, do these five things, you know, the seven steps to, you know, what, you know success and blah, blah. That's not that, right? You, you, the, you, the reader has to come to her own conclusions. You're saying, hey, here's some shit that's, that are good stories about interesting things and people and obviously companies. Um, and you think about them and you consider this, this mindset. And so what I love about what you're doing is I think we need more of that. I think there's a lot of people today that are pretending to be Moses with the tablets. Right. And uh, that's less interesting to me. Now, look, I think some prescriptions are good. If you figure out a way to do LinkedIn marketing, that's really awesome. And you have a course about that, or you, or fucking a, maybe you have the number one podcast on LinkedIn. Mark, good, share that shit. So I'm not in. I am no way um, um, dismissing the value of that. But what I am saying is, in the area of um, personal growth and personal development, you have tons of mindset shit. In the area of philosophy and society and politics and like all these other domains of life, there's a lot of discussion and writing about how to think about these things and concepts and ideas and stories to therefore support, you know, you read the story that you read the fable to get the lesson, right? That's but it. business. Interestingly enough, um, not so much. And so I, I would describe your book, Matt, as a mindset book delivered by story. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing that you did. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been, you know, it's interesting to echo what you've said is that the book's got actually nothing really to do about me at all. Uh, it's got to do with, uh, as you say, the mindset, but also 
when you've got your mindset sorted out, what ordinary people can actually do and overcome. Um, you know, um, Richard Wright was only the 118th human to survive a very particular rare form of aggressive pituitary brain cancer. Um, uh, you know, Rasty Lubiskachny was imprisoned for 10 years in a maximum security prison in Zimbabwe under horrific conditions for a murder he didn't commit. Um, it's like the human stories for an exponential time. Um, and that's, that's really the kind of key outcome that I wanted to get across was that, you know, if your operating system of your mind is geared to make the best decisions based on available data, not internal and external, that regardless of the, the rates of exponential change in the world around you, you will be relevant. And that's the key thing. It's like, how do you create relevance in an exponential world for ordinary people? And, that, and the insight, at least in my experience, is that it all comes down to your inner game and less about worrying about what fucking AI is doing out there. You know, it's about how you interpret that and then make decisions for yourself and then also for the communities around you and the countries that you care about and ultimately the people that you serve. Yeah, I mean, thank you. That was awesome, actually. <laughs> you should ring the bell there for yourself. Um, yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> um, and it also sort of, and, and this is the other thing, and I like this about your podcast as well, right? It's just cool as somebody who has no experience whatsoever in what it might be like to be a, a South African or an African entrepreneur. And uh, some of the... I'm always fascinated by where people start in, in the context of where they end, so to speak. Right. And, um, you profile some folks who, uh, had to go through some serious fire. Yeah, absolutely. That it's like, there's a fundamental like exponential. It's like, I call it, it's like where you think you're going to wind up versus where you actually do. Um, and nobody really has the answers. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I've got a, I've got a mentor who, um, who's a, a billionaire and I'm, and I, I remember the first day I, I met with him, I said, listen, you know, I'm building this business and I, I don't really know what I'm doing and I've come to you for answers. <laughs> and he just put, he just turned around straight to me and he said, well, I don't know why you're here then, because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's very human in that sense. And that's, it's the, it's the opposite of the, uh, do these seven things. And, you know, it's like those, those bullshit real estate classes, you know, come to my seminar, follow my three steps and you'll be a billionaire in six weeks of real estate. It, you know, there's a lot of that stuff today in the entrepreneurial world. The, uh, I call them entrepreneurial porn stars who sell all that stuff. <laughs> Hashtag Gary V. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I, I take a lot of heat for that. I'm, I'm trying to be nicer about it, but uh, um, yes, uh, not, not such a fan of all of those characters or m most of those characters, I should say. Um, mm. All right, Matt. Yeah, you you gotta, gotta, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, you got to speak your truth there, right? Yeah, I don't, um, I'm not on a, I, I, you know, to quote Archie Bunker, I don't want people to misconstrue me. I'm not on a mission to hurt them. Right. I, I don't No, but I don't care. Like I'm not trying to do anything to them. You know what I mean? I don't feel a competitive thing. It's not any of that. Right. Um, it's just, 
I think they're shitting in the entrepreneurial pool and I don't like it. And I, I think they're deeply inauthentic and manipulative and, and self-centered and shitty. But that's just how I feel. Um, I, I, just, I just wish more people would pay attention to the Matt Brown show. I just wish more people would pay attention to, you know, uh, my buddies, uh, Paul Martino and uh, Randy Comazar just launched this incredible podcast that you guys should all tune into called No Bull. And it's the teachings of Bill Campbell. And Bill Campbell was the CEO coach to Eric Schmidt, Jeff Bezos, and Steve Jobs. The greatest CEO coach in the history of Silicon Valley. And he's a, he's a legend that most people don't know about. And he never wrote a book. And Randy and Paul worked with him. And towards the end of his life, Randy got all these tapes with him and put it together. And they have this amazing podcast um, about Bill Campbell and the teachings. And so that's where my, my point in all that is I want to see entrepreneurs consuming what I would consider to be substantive and fun. I get the fun motivational part, um, that is grounded in something real as opposed to the, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle. Bullshit. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, Matthew, anything else before we wrap? Sorry. Anything else before we wrap? Um, no, just that it's been a real privilege and honor to be on your show and to obviously have this time with you. It's been uh, it's been really great, and you know, I hope hope I hope that um, you know uh, your listeners will appreciate this, a very unique African story on a global stage. So it's been a real awesome experience to be able to have that honor. Matt, I love what you're doing. You're an incredibly inspiring guy. I love your team. Uh, I love that you're going to London and telling everybody about your business and um, you're expanding and you're winning awards and you're, I mean, can I ask out of curiosity, how old are you? I'm 39. I'm turning yeah. 40 actually in two weeks. So a seriously young entrepreneur. Yes. I'm only getting yeah. started. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you just got, um, you just got the world by the tail and uh, I think it's incredibly inspiring and incredibly fun and, um, you know, I want to thank you for your awesome show and thank you for writing this book. Anytime, Chris. Thanks, mate. We'll talk to you soon, brother. There he is, the number one tech entrepreneur in Africa, my buddy, Matt Brown. And uh, I also love his podcast. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly encourage, the, uh, encourage you to. Now, if you want to be a legendary entrepreneur like Matt, <laughs> how do you like that for a transition? Um, then you got to get to know my friends at NetSuite. And one of the critical things about building a legendary business is staying on top of your numbers and the key metrics required to drive awesome growth. And that's what NetSuite wants to help you do. NetSuite is the number one company in cloud ERP. They provide a unified business management suite encompassing ERP, financials, CRM, e-commerce, and more for more than 16,000 customers. And interestingly, in 2018, 90% of the companies that went public ran their businesses on NetSuite. And that's because NetSuite allows you to do business anywhere around the world, allowing uh, multinational, multi-subsidiary operations. NetSuite addresses the complex multinational and multi-company needs of global companies. And even if you're not a global company today, if you're planning on being a global company, why not have NetSuite working for you from the start? And with regional and global business consolidation, roll-up capabilities, planning capabilities, you can also adjust for currency, taxation, 
and legal compliance across the local level. NetSuite's what you want for multi-language, multi-currency, multi-country, multi-brand web stores. NetSuite's got it all. And they're offering it to you for a surprisingly affordable price. Check out netsuite.com slash different today. And while you're there, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So visit netsuite.com slash different. Um, all right. Well, I, uh, you know, I listen, Hey, I really want to tell you, um, it's been a heady time around here for the last little while. Um, and as you may know, we, uh, we broke into the top 200 overall podcasts uh, in the U S on uh, Apple iTunes. And we've stayed there for the most part, um, uh, for quite a while now. And then the launch of my new marketing podcast, Lockhead on Marketing, um, we've, uh, we became the number 35 marketing podcast in the first couple of days. And so, look, I don't pay that much attention to that stuff, but I do want you to know, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because um, we did our first ever uh, listener survey, customer survey, and what we discovered was more than 80% of you uh, found this podcast through a friend. And so um, these kinds of results don't happen unless you're sharing um, this podcast and, and my new marketing podcast or podcast. And so I just want to thank you so much. Um, it really means the world to me that you're, uh, that, you're sharing, that you're sharing this work and these incredible conversations. All right. We would like to thank Matt Brown Show podcast and the new number one bestseller, The Inner Game by Matt Brown. Check them out wherever you get legendary books and legendary podcasts. My good friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org. They want to help you plan, uh, dream, plan, and live your best life. Check them out. The number one OneLifeFullyLive.org. My friends at the Flourishing Leadership Institute, they facilitate positive change for some of the most legendary, innovative companies on the planet. Check out lead, the number two, flourish.com. That's lead, the number two, flourish.com. Growwire.com, it's what legendary entrepreneurs like to read. There's an awesome podcast. There's an awesome uh, YouTube channel. Check out growwire.com. Uh, check out Lockhead on Marketing. It's a hot new podcast, like I just said. <laughs> and it's very different from this podcast. It's short, one-topic-oriented episodes for the most part on uh, different areas about how you design and dominate market categories and generally do legendary marketing. Check out Lockhead on Marketing. And my good friends at DonorsChoose.org. This is the nonprofit helping you make a difference for students and teachers all around the U.S. And if you didn't hear episode number nine, 91 of Follow Your Different um, with uh, Charles Best and uh, and my buddy Oliver from Donors Choose. Check that out as well. But more importantly, go to DonorsChoose.org um, to find out how you can make a difference for teachers and students because it is all about the kids, isn't it? All right. I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Um, this podcast is clearly not for wankers and is highly flammable. Remember to be nice to your mother, support your local entrepreneurs, buy John's crazy socks, tell two people you love about two podcasts you love, never go jogging near a prison, uh, listen to the Ramones, chewing out a rhythm on my bubble gum, the sun is out and I want some. 
Thanks, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And uh, hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Dennis Mullenberg, CEO of Boeing. Sorry, Dennis, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much. Uh, it means the world to me that you want to hang out. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. 